ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 50, 50 of the Haskin Cast podcast. And thank you for those who have been listening, who've been writing in with your comments and feedback and all that good stuff. Very much appreciate it and appreciate all the downloads and the shares and all that. That's how this works these days because we are so oversaturated with options, with things to experience, to listen to, to watch. And, uh, and it's hard to cut through all of that. So for those of you who have shared and told others about the podcast and uh, had them check it out, thank you very much. Now, uh, let's see. So before we get today's, to today's guest, just a couple of things. I am going to be starting my Stranger Things podcast series this week. Uh, that will still be here in the same location. And uh, we'll still be doing our Wednesday podcast. I believe if IMDb is correct, and it usually is, there should be eight Stranger Things episodes, and it all hits on the 4th of July. So my goal is to binge watch. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I'm, I might watch all the episodes and then go back and give feedback, or I might just do watch one episode and then do a podcast. I haven't decided yet. I'll figure it all out on Thursday when I'm actually doing it. That's how I usually work. Uh, I can come up with plans, and I usually just go with what feels right in the moment. So... That's what's going to happen, and I would imagine by the weekend at the latest, if not actually on Thursday, I expect to have at least a couple of episodes out. I'm sure a lot of people will be binge-watching the show, so uh, I'd like to get at least a couple of episodes out fairly quickly and see if people enjoy what I've done with my review of the episodes. Aside from that, as I have mentioned, I am taking the month of August off of the podcast. And uh, I'll be working on the mixing of the third and final Haunted Holidays album, which I'm very excited to bring to you guys. There may or may not, but definitely is a return of the Sugared Plum Fairy. That storyline did not end with episode or with album one episode. See, now I'm in podcast mode. So uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy that. That will be out sometime in October. Haven't uh, finished the release date on that yet. And uh, then at some point I will get back to Addicted. Uh, and get that album re-released with uh, all new uh, sounds and mix and some new vocals. So that should be fun. And uh, that's pretty much what's going on here. In the meantime, I'm going to celebrate episode 50 with this wonderful interview that I did with my dear and talented friend, Dev Ross, who is just a ray of sunshine and uh, one of my absolute favorite people. It, what it, what amazes me about her is, aside from just this beautiful energy that she's got, is that she has literally touched millions of lives with her art, with the work that she's done as a writer, as an actor, as a coach in theater. And uh, it, it to be around someone who's made such a mark on the world. It's it's really an amazing thing. And uh, the fact that she's just such a wonderful and bubbly person on top of that uh, just makes it that much better to uh, spend some time chatting with her. And, and I really appreciate her taking some time out of her busy schedule between theater and writing and pitching and all the other things that she's responsible for uh, to sit down and talk with me for a bit. Check out her company, The Two Lucys, and see what you think if you are in Sedona. Go and see one of her shows. She does theater there in, in Sedona. And uh, from what I've heard, I haven't been there uh, in a while. Well, I've been to Sedona, but I haven't been able to go see one of the shows because of the timing. But uh, from what I've heard, the playhouses are very nice there. And uh, of course, her shows are phenomenal. So go check them out if you're in the area or go there just to check them out and then enjoy some of the beautiful scenery in Sedona. It's, it's an absolutely wonderful place. 
So without further ado, and in celebration of episode 50, let's talk to Dev Ross. All right, folks, I am really excited to bring on our next guest, who I've known for a few years, one of the most wonderful and talented people I've ever met, and I'm very honored to call her my friend, Dev Ross. Dev, how are you doing today? I'm very good. I'm full of excitement because I'm going to go to Italy. Ciao, bella. And this is yeah, the first so, time. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I plan to eat my way. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, if you don't get to do that, then come to Vegas because the uh, MGM, the park has just opened a new place called Italy, which is little shops and <laughs> restaurants. that's all done in Italian. Okay. It's well, it's really cute. Uh, yeah. If I don't get to Italy, I'll go there by default. But there you yeah. go. All right. <laughs> so uh, here's, so we talked about this a little bit uh, before we started recording, but how do you go to a new place where it's going to be a lot of sensory overload, but not still work while you're there? How does someone like you take a vacation? Well, um, hmm, I don't, but my work is my vacation. So what will happen is that I'll meet people and then I start talking to them and hearing their lives. And then before I know it, they're a character in the movie that is in my head. Uh, and I do that constantly. And then I just secret it away. There's always situations. So many things that are in my scripts now are all so much of it is, is, is things that I've explored people that I've met, uh, locations I've been in, you know, as a writer, you just store it all up. So it's, it's, um, you're never not working, but it's fun, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I get people telling me things like you should go to travel the world. You should go take a cruise. And like, I don't want to though. I, I enjoy what I do so much that I, that's, is my vacation is my own life. Well, I so, I so get what you're saying because people are going, I can't believe you've never been to Europe. You've never been to Europe. And for me, I started working professionally when I was 18 years old and um, I was touring by, you know, my first equity tour at 21 and I loved what I did so much that I just, I didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of regret it now that I, that I haven't seen more places, but my work, I worked in South Korea in their, uh, in their entertainment industry in their television industry. I was able to go to, to Mexico and work with Telemundo, um, you know, uh, in Mexico city. And, you know, there were great experiences and I got to see the places through the people that lived there. And, uh, you know, I was just in the South and Arkansas on a project and, I went to so many incredible places and had so many incredible experiences and it was like a vacation, but I was working. So, um, you know, I just feel, I just, uh, I feel very, very fortunate that I love my work so much and it's taken me so many different places, but this is the first time I'll be a, a tourist, you know, I'll probably get pickpocketed, pocketed, and, you know, <laughs> I have you know. heard that in Italy, there are some <laughs> amazing cannoli stands and that if you go to Italy, you have to try one. Like I said, eating my way, I've been on the, the keto diet, you know, for the last month, so I could lose enough weight that I can gate it there because I'm going to eat it. <laughs> so you're just, you're just prepping, you're vacation prepping. Yeah. They might have to ship me home rather than fly me home. I might have to come back on a boat because I'll be so fat. <laughs> Well, as long as you enjoy it, though, and you experience some new things, that should be fun. Yeah, I've yeah. I've heard that even the pasta 
is so much different from what we have here, unless it's homemade, that it's, it's just a completely different eating experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's what everybody has told me. So, oh my God. I'm excited for you. If you hear that, that's my stomach. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So let's, uh, let's, I, I know you're probably sick and tired of talking about your own history, but let's talk about your history. Uh, you got started in improv. Was that your first uh, foray into entertainment? Uh, well, I did a lot of other stuff. Um, I, right out of college, I got hired into the largest children's theater company in the United States. And I started touring and doing shows, um, via them. So that was my first professional experience. But as I was working, I needed, you know, you, 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 you perform for one young audiences and it's wonderful, but sometimes it's just not enough. And so I did a lot of theater at night and I got in it into improv and I was, uh, I was with a, a group called all those women. And so there was just women and, uh, we did comedy improv and, um, I got to be on stage at, uh, with Robin Williams to do something one time. And that was, uh, <laughs> that was quite an experience. Was, um, was he known? Well, at that all point? I did was, I, I, what's that? Was he known at that point? Oh my God. He was on such the rise. And I just remember getting whiplash watching him jump around the stage. Yeah. I mean, I, I literally was like, I can't keep up with you. And I fast, mm. uh, I still do a lot of improv shows now. Um, they're, but they're they're scripted and improv, which has become like my really most favorite thing. But improv uh, really has informed everything I have done since. I approach everything from my training in improv, which is that moment-to-moment work, not getting too attached to an idea, um, really listening to what's being said to you so that you are are really fed and open to new possibilities in your work. It has formed everything. So one of the things I do now is um, in my company, the two Lucy's uh, we put on musical murder mysteries and um, they're very, very successful. And we, so, you know, they're, they're partially scripted, but then our audiences are always so diverse that whoever is in the audience helps shape the show and we interact with them so much and it changes the storyline, but we also know that we have to get back to a certain storyline. So maybe we'll do it circuitously. Uh, and then it's also musical. So it's pretty crazy. So, um, and even in, and even when I'm I, I just finished writing a pilot and, you know, I'll set stuff up and then I tell the characters in my head, go, go, take it. You know, and then, and then I'm listening, I'm listening to their dialogue and then I just edit it and write it down and take all the credit. So, (laughs) yeah, right. There you go. So, so yeah, yes. Improv. Love it. I suggest that anybody who wants to act or write or just, you know, get out of their, their box, take a, a, uh, an improv class and, you know, they have them everywhere now. Um, I got to train with some really great people and perform with some really great people. I went to the dirty South and, uh, and performed on stage with, you know, 50 other improv groups. And I saw the upright citizens brigade and, Oh my God, I just was exposed to some of the most amazing people. And, um, I don't do straight improv anymore other than teach it. Um, I do teach a class, but, uh, because it, 
I I really like the the um anyways scripted improv you know where there's there's part of it that's scripted it's like Tony and Tina's wedding or something like that right I actually got to see that uh, right before they reopened and I was blown mm-hmm. away by the amount of improv that goes into that show uh, uh-huh. you know you really have to roll with the audience and they they one of the ladies even tried to get me to interact and kicked out of the the dinner one of uh-huh. her uh, for, uh, fellow cast members. And I'm like, I don't really know how much I can get involved here. <laughs> you know, and, and, but I would imagine there are people, especially because they do serve alcohol, uh, there are probably people that would just jump in and go, you need to leave. And they have yeah. to be able to roll with that because that character still has to be in the room for things that happen later. Oh, yeah. There's been, there's been so many things that have happened with me, especially with drunken patronage, that I, what I'll do is I do my um, rewind. And like I've gone up to somebody who's drunk and some, some unsavory things have happened. And then I just do a rewrite rewind and I move backwards and talk backwards and then move back to the, you know, right before I went up to them and then do it, make another choice. You know, so oh, yeah, thank yeah. God for improv. Thank God for improv that you can, you can make, you can always make a new choice, but um, it's, I love it. Well, I, I, love feel, it. I feel too like skills that you learn doing improv can help you with so many other aspects of not just entertainment, but life itself. Like people, oh, absolutely. people tend to tell me that I'm quick witted, but I wasn't until I spent, you know, four years working with 60 rock and roll musicians where you just have to learn to respond very quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. And then now that's a skill that I have. And I can take that to uh, coming up with ideas when I do writing. I would imagine yeah. that 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 has really helped you be uh, more uh, uh, expedient. I yeah. I mean, I'm known in the business um, for being very quick. If you if you need a rewrite and something, you know, you need a script doctor. Uh, I'm hired a lot because I'm quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, people wonder why I'm so quick. Well, you know, some people's brain works this way, and some people's don't. And right. this is this is a scientific fact. But for some reason, my frontal lobe takes in information a mile a minute, and I'm able to put disparate things together and spit them out. And my, my partner yesterday, we, we were, we were brainstorming and she says, well, what if this? And I went, Oh, well, do this. And she was like, what, what? Ha- I hate you. That's brilliant. How did you do that? And I just said, it's just, it's just the way my brain works. I just associate things. Not honestly, not everybody's brain works that way. And maybe they work in a more linear fashion that just works works for them i mean it she's very linear and i'm very modular in my thinking and it just works out that together we we just really create some wonderful stuff but i need her linear thinking right and she needs my modular thinking so um but even if you if you don't have our kind of brains um improv is still so great to just get you to forces you to listen because so many of us don't right forces you to listen uh and forces you to not be so stuck on your way and not and forces you to release control and flow and if you can give into that it's one of the best experiences in the world because you're so surprised with the outcome yeah, I would I would absolutely uh, absolutely agree with that, and I think you bring up a really good point about people not listening. I feel like in today's world, people 
listen until they hear something they don't like, and then they stop listening and start forming a rebuttal and miss everything else the person says. Exactly. We don't have conversations anymore. Well, that's true. And I think it might have the possibility that it's been true for as long as communication has begun, because, you know, we have, we have, we're still instinctual animals. We haven't evolved that much. And, and we have our survival instinct to survive or to survive better. Mm-hmm. And so we're always trying to be on top. So we might be listening to somebody, but we're already figuring out our rebuttal or how we can be right. We have a huge stake at being right. Right. And so, and that's, you know, that's not, doesn't mean we're bad. It just means that that's all part of our evolution. And we're now at that crux where that tipping point where we can say, yeah, I, I know that I want to respond. I know that I'm already thinking about what I want to say and I want to be right. Or I want my idea to win or what, blah, blah. but I'm going to, I'm going to check that. And I'm going to really go back and focus and listen. And it's literally something I have to do all this, all the time. I always have to check myself constantly it's getting easier that's good and i do it less than i've done before but i will run over other people in a in a conversation in a hot new york minute (laughs) i just i you know bulldoze right over them what'd you say you know no no listen to this so i have to really consciously say check it deb check it check it check it listen 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 but being conscious of it and doing that to retrain your brain really is the first step to overcoming that sort of ego side of ourselves. That's how we progress right. as a society as opposed to as an individual. Exactly. And you know what? It's, it could be, t- if you want to, if you want to fra- rephrase it and say it's to- totally selfish, in some ways, it, it, if you want to just go, well, what's in it for me? I'll tell you what's in it for you. You check yourself and you really listen to what other people have to say, their ideas, their contributions. You're going to plus, it's called yes and in, 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 in improv. So you say something to me and you give me an idea and I go, and rather than going, no, Scott, that's so stupid. I, I check myself. I say, yes, Scott, I hear you and to build on your idea. What about this, this, and this, and this? So or I can say, yes, Scott, yeah, I'm not getting this part of what you said. I might need to hear more than that. And, but this part, what you said, I'm really, wow, we could also go here and here and here and here. When people learn to let yes and, whether it's in theater, in the, in the creative world, or whether it's in business, it's so applicable. But like I said, it's a muscle and you have to constantly, um, you know, check yourself. Go, am I listening? Right. Am I thinking? Yeah. Because I tend to, I like be thinking about lunch. You know, <laughs> like stop thinking about lunch. Yeah. What, is, what are they saying? Be in the moment that you're in. Right, right, right. I kind of get a gist of, of that kind of working relationship that you have because uh, my last guest, Marcus Weiss, who uh, has worked with Blue Man Group and Cirque du Soleil, he, when mm-hmm. he directed a play I was in, he's very much like, you could feel like he's following three different lines of story at the same time and trying to figure mm-hmm. out which way to go. And to work with someone like that, it's amazing to watch their brain just go in all these directions at the same time. That's a very rare quality. Well, when I work with people, a lot of times, um, when I was working with my 
my first big boss at Disney, he'd go, he'd warn other people if they were going to work with me. He'd say, now, Dev Calf's a wide net. Don't worry. She she reels it in. She reels it in. Right, Don't yeah. worry. Because at first people go, what? What do you, what? We can't do, what? You know, and I just cast it wide. That's just my inclination. And then I, I, I throw out ideas and maybe they stink, but maybe they don't. And, um, uh, and it's kind of like a creative chaos and some people get very uncomfortable with it. Right. You know, um, where do you want me to move and, and, and on what line, you know, and, um, uh, and when I'm directing, I often say, well, where do you feel like moving? Make it natural. To and, you. you know, what, what, well, you just tell me I like to be directed. I go, okay, I can do that. Um, but if you bear with me, I'd really like to see, you know, let's put some other people on stage here. Let's play around a little bit. Let's, let's see where you want to end up. Um, but I, you know, I've worked with directors on this line, move here. I'm this line, move there. You know, I'm like, oh, 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 oh. yeah, well, that, that, that kills the joy and the enjoyment of even doing it, doesn't it? Uh, for me, it does. But then I've had I've had actors who tell me I'm really more comfortable if you tell me exactly what to do. And I'll do that. I I actually can do that. In fact, I'll sh- get up on stage and show them how to do it. And how I would say the line, cause, you know, that, that's right. what I can do. Yeah. But I, I would I would prefer not to. And yeah. um, and I have I've, I've worked with wonderful actors who 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 just calmly tell me, please tell me exactly what you want. OK, OK. I would prefer that they show me what's in their inclination, but you know, it's, it's just, it's just all good. But I think you end up gravitating. Uh, I work with my husband a lot. Um, I write stuff and then he directs it and we work together rewriting and molding and, and um, because he asks all those questions, mm-hmm, right. you know, he doesn't, he, nothing's firm. We, we keep molding and shaping and we've gone through, the last show that I wrote, Hot Flashes on the Trail, we we went through three different productions of it. The third production ending up to be quite different than the first production because we just nothing, you know, thing. And I, I and if I do a fourth production, I'm sure it'll change again, right? Um, because of nothing set in stone, it's it's a living, breathing piece, you know, anyways, I'm, I'm ranting on what else, but but that, but you bring up a good point because the difference between theater and film, whether it be television Mm -hmm. or, or like a theatrical release Mm -hmm. is that those are final products when they're done and edited, they're done until 20 years later when somebody comes along and does a horrible remake. But (laughs) when it's theater, you could change every night, you could change every scene, you could take out a scene, you could add a scene, you could do anything you want because it's, it's new and, and being performed fresh every night. Yeah. I that's like why that. I love theater. I, yeah. when I do, um, I just finished this pilot, hopefully for this producer and at, at Amazon. And, and, uh, I said, pretty, please, 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 please. Can we do a table read with actors? And let's do a couple of them Yeah, because it's only when they, when an actor chews on the line, you know, I, in my head, I know how it's said. Mm-hmm. I, I know what I intended. And, an actor can just bring so much more insight. And so I love, I just love to do table reads with actors and a couple of different sets of actors because they'll bring, um, you know, they'll bring an interpretation to it. And then I end up going back um, 
and, you know, doing a rewrite or, you know, or a polish based on just the life that they, they brought to it. So it's, cause it's always, it's, it's, uh, I, I did work with a director on a play that I wrote, um, that was funded. It was pre-funded. I was hired and, and went on tour and I kept saying to her, I would really like to be at the rehearsals because I, this is a new piece and I would really like to, to know if um, I can rewrite and no, 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 it's locked. It's locked. And I was like, but, but, but <laughs> now it, it, it turned out to be okay. And I saw it three different times and um, I, it was hard yeah. because there were things that were worked, but they could have worked better. Right. I, I just needed to hear them chewed on a little bit and then I could have, could have, adjusted them so one of the things i do now is is like uh, when i sold the script my uh my screenplay uh last year or two years ago um in my contract i say when this shoots i want to be on set i mm. if, if the line's not working i don't want you know somebody replacing the line or even the actor replacing the line i, I want to be there and let's you know, I'm open to what somebody, an actor has to say, but I want to chew on it with them. I, I don't, you know, I want to be able to work it. Spill, spill, uh, my, my friend that, um, passed, um, Melissa Matheson passed uh, a few years ago. And, um, she, she had that, she wrote E.T. and Black Stallion and Indian in the Cupboard and, um, a couple of other great films. And, and, uh, she was really my, um, just my idol and we grew up in Hollywood together and she worked with Spielberg a lot and he just constantly kept on the set and he because if a line didn't work you know they really chew on it together and I just think that that's just such a great great relationship uh, but you don't always get it you yeah. just don't always get it and you have to be willing to let go it's painful but that's coming from people who really want the project to be the best it can be that are willing to, even while you're in the middle of shooting a scene saying, okay, we need to change this right now. And everybody's right. going to have to jump in. Uh, when I did the Warner brothers tour back in, I want to say 2014, uh, they took us to the set of the big bang theory. And uh -huh. what was really interesting about that is that the writers are there while they're filming the whole time. And if the audience doesn't respond, they stop, they rewrite the joke and they do it again right on the spot. Yes. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. I think that's a big part of the success of that show. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so before, before we go back uh, just a little ways, I do want to ask you, uh, so you said that, that uh, you did some improv with Robin Williams. Was yeah. this like Mork and Mindy time pre Mork and Mindy? This is, this is after Mork and Mindy has really taking off. Mm -hmm. um, this is, we were, we were at the comedy store in, uh, on sunset Boulevard. Um, and uh, he was just, he was just, just absolutely taking off. And, um, it, I think he, he single-handedly brought improv into an, I mean, you know, I, not single-handedly cause there were certainly others, but, sure. um, he just really brought it back into the forefront and, um, I mean, I, I wasn't working, wonderful working beyond, I was so young and it was so scary. 
but it was quite a, quite an experience. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that opportunity. I mean, that would have been tough enough if you were working off of a solid script that just trying to follow that, working with someone with his energy. But to be doing improv, that had to be intimidating walking in, even as skilled as you were at the time. Well, I was still pretty young. I mean, I would, you know, I wish he was alive. I'd get back on stage with him in a hot New York minute. So <laughs> bring it on, Robbie. Let's go. Now I'm, you know, now I've, I've been doing it for a while. Yeah. But back then I was just like, I think I wet my pants. I mean, I was just like, oh, literally. yeah. And by the way, I have wet my pants on stage before. So, <laughs> Well, I, I'm not going to say I have. I don't think I have, but uh, it could have happened. Uh, and I've done nudity, so, okay. Oh, well, I have. Uh, there was no one there, though. Oh. <laughs> the, uh, you know, there were three actors that that are really impressive actors that I did not take seriously, and that would be Tom Hanks, John Ritter, and Robin Williams. Yeah. Starting with, you know, the shows that they were on, Bosom Buddies, Three's Company, Mork and Mindy. Mm -hmm. I didn't really think that they were serious actors. I thought they were great mm -hmm. comedic actors, great for what they were mm -hmm. doing, but that's all they would ever do. And I was yeah. wrong, seriously wrong on all three of them. When I saw Moscow on the, the Hudson, yeah. that yeah. really, yeah. I, I was blown away by how well Robin Williams could act outside of comedy. Yeah. You know, the thing is, is that um, most, in my experience, most comedic actors are wonderful dramatic actors um, because it, comedy comes from pain. Leave us face it. Comedy comes from a deep pain and a need to laugh at the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, some of the best dramatic actors I know that are not famous, but are great, you know, great comedians. And, um, you know, for myself, I, I got known as somebody who was really, really funny. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I started writing more dramatic pieces, because I'm, I'm really trying to break out of where I've been and go, and then I sold my first really dramatic script, people were shocked that I wrote something like my agent, my own agent called me and said, I read your script on my vacation. I'm so sorry. I did it. It was so tragic. And yet I, you know, she was very complimentary. She said, I had no idea. Oh, and I right. said, most people, no, most people don't because yeah. you, you know, I'm, I'm the funny one. I'm the one from improv at mm -hmm. Disney. I was the one that, you know, let's yuck this, bring in Deb. Let's, let's fix this. Let's make it funny. And, um, but, and I love writing funny, believe me, sure. I love it. I also, this last thing I did, uh, this pilot that I just finished that I wish I could talk about, but, um, it's probably one of the most brutal things. I mean, it's got racism, horrible racism. It's, it, it deals with, uh, rape and, and, um, misogyny and just, you know, and it's, it's just so out of the world that I've been in. I think a lot of people will look at my name on that script and go, huh? Right. She, yeah. Because you're, you're kind of typecast as a writer into the sort of. I, well, yeah, I've been. Yeah. First, I was typecast as an action adventure writer. Then I was typecast as that soft preschool writer. <laughs> you know, and then the, the, you know, the funny writer. And now I'm going to, you know, now I'm trying to move into the more dramatic stuff. But, you know, it's. It's all, it's just the other side of each other. They're all the other side of each other. And I think that, um, like I said, uh, I've seen writers, I've seen actors known for one thing who are brilliant. I'm, I'm getting ready to do a project, which I can't talk about with an actor in Hollywood that's known 
for his serious roles. And when I worked with him, he was all comedy, hysterical. Oh, nice. And yet all he's done on all the television shows he's been on, he's done serious roles. And he, we were just discussing about getting back and doing some theaters. It's because he's dying to do comedy and he's freaking brilliant. And yet nobody that knows him through television knows that they just know he's, you know, just hardcore, um, drama guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of, uh, police chiefs and, you know, and bad guys and, you know, so it's, it's just, it's just, we, we get locked in, you know, we get cue on one thing and I get it. I get it as long as you're working, but you know, artists need to, you know, it's like exercise. We need to exercise all our muscles. Right. Yeah, that's very true. And it'll be interesting to see how the public perceives that when it comes out. Uh, I look at, you know, when Robert De Niro kind of wanted to get out of the uh, the more hard-edged movies and start doing some lighthearted comedies and mm-hmm. stuff. And that's a hard switch when you look at somebody who you're known to be a criminal, exactly. a violent person, and, and look at him and go, but now I'm laughing with you. That's that's a hard yeah, transition. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, a, he's wonderful. He is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Michael Keaton. I mean, Michael Keaton. Oh my God, yeah. you know, um, look what he did in Beetlejuice. And then you turn around and you watched him in, in what is it? Um, Batman. I mean, not yeah. to this day for me, he was like the best. He was so dark and so sexy. I just loved him. And then the movie about where he played the so-called founder of McDonald's. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. God, he was just downright scary and pathetic in that one. Yeah, he's he's definitely one of the more. I don't know that he gets enough credit for how talented he really is. Oh yeah, I think that guy is just brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I I remember. I think the first time I saw him was in Mr. Mom, and I'm like, yeah, he's kind of funny. Oh, yeah. He's kind of cheeky, you know. And then I started seeing him in in like Beetlejuice, and and I thought he's yeah. actually like really really wide variety of of talent this yeah. guy has. Yeah. But, but the one that shocks me in that movie is actually more Alec Baldwin. Because yes. he always plays like the uptight banker guy, you know, uh-huh. the successful guy. And uh, and to to think about him being in Beetlejuice, that's such a outside the box thing for for everything else yeah, I've seen him in. So vulnerable. He's so vulnerable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things that that I'm just blown away by is that you you were a writer for Disney, mm-hmm. and you were an early writer. For Disney, mm-hmm. were you? Am I wrong in thinking that you were the first female staff writer on their staff? Mm-hmm. No, you're not wrong. No, I was. I was. I was hired. I was hired due to pressure um, put on them um, by an act in 19. I can't remember what year, but there was a group of women that were really pressuring. There a group of writers and filmmakers who females who were pressuring the industry to hire more women, and I had won a playwriting award. So they hired me and I knew nothing about what I was doing. It was just like, I think I, get, I lost 17 pounds in the first two weeks. I was wow. Just like, I was just like, oh my God, what am I doing? I was, had been doing improv. I had been doing theater. I had had a, an award-winning play done at the Westwood Playhouse. And now I'm like writing for Disney going, what the, I don't know what I'm doing. But I learned fast. And thank God I had wonderful, wonderful mentors there who just said, one day at a time. I didn't even know how to, you know, turn on my computer. I was just like, oh, my God. But, you know. Um, but you did it. Yeah, I did. I did. 
was it were you treated uh were you kind of shunned though in the beginning like we know we have to have you work in this room but we really don't care what you do or say or was it like all right well you know you're here so let's see what you got they were wonderful but they were men mm-hmm. and they were used to you know they were used to the way it was and there were certain very inappropriate things that were happening all the time that i'd go uh yeah no don't mm-hmm. yeah and i was sexually harassed quite a bit Quite a bit, but very playfully, sometimes not so playfully, but mostly very playfully. And boy, you know, um, I'm not timid. So, you know, um, I didn't I didn't cringe into a corner and go, oh, no, I'm being sexually harassed. I was like, yeah, I was very I was very pushbacky. And and uh, I, you know, um, I got a reputation. I got a reputation that there was a a rumor going around that I had slugged a a male story editor that I had, I had cold cocked him and I was getting quite a bit of praise for that, for cold cocking this particular person and um, who's still in the business and I still respect him a great deal. He's very talented. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't, I didn't hit him. I hit his desk. (laughs) Oh, I slammed my fist into his desk. Yeah. So that, you know, that's just the way it was. And, you know, people go, well, why didn't you complain or why didn't you do this? Well, uh, hello, who's it going to tell? Yeah. Yeah. Who's going to listen? You know, who's going to listen? They're going to be too bad. So sad. You know, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. It was like, there was no one to complain to. So you just, you just dealt with it. And, um, I thought I, I, th- I, I thought I'd, I mean, I'm not saying it's easy. Another woman in my position who doesn't have the sort of, I don't know, whatever, you know, the core, the core that I have, it, it might've been very difficult for them and I wouldn't have blamed them. But for me, it was just like, going to get my face. Well, I'll be right back in yours. Right. You know, I was, yeah. in, I, you know, I was in an audition when I was still acting in, uh, you were reading, we were reading with the producer and, uh, he shoved his hand up my blouse and grabbed my breast. What? And for the, he goes, well, I, you know, I looked at him and he goes, it's for the part. And uh, I shoved up my hand up his shirt and grabbed the hair on his chest and pulled. <laughs> and, uh, I said, I'll let go when you do. And that's the way I dealt with stuff. That's just yeah. the way I dealt with them. So I didn't say, oh my God, I'm going to report you. Because again, who are you going to report it to? But it was more of just tit for tat. You're going to do this? Okay, watch me. Right. So that was me. And that's how I was at Disney. And and as soon as, you know, as, and then I became one, you're just one of the guys after a while. And then they started, uh, I was there about six months when they started to hire, they hired another woman and um, great. She's just, she became big in the X-Man world. and. Um, well, there's a whole story there. She's just great. And, uh, you know, we'd hide in her office and, <laughs> oh my God, can you believe what's happening? And then, but she was tough too. She was just really tough. And then, you know, slowly but surely more women were hired and some were a little less able to handle it. Um, but it, it evened out as more women were brought into the world. Everybody adjusted the guys adjust, you know, the guys adjusted. I don't, you know, I couldn't fault any of them. Um, you know, it was just the world. It was the how men treated women. I mean, uh, it just was. And it changed 
as more women got in the workplace, the work became the most important thing and you just got it done. Right. Though when I was pregnant and I cried a lot, one of my male employers really hated it, but I was like, I'm pregnant. I'm sorry. I can't turn it off. <laughs> well, and, and that I think is, is the kind of thing that the men would push back and go, see, this is why we didn't let women come in here in the first place. Instead of seeing the value necessarily of what a different, uh, set of eyes would see and how a different set of eyes could develop a story, which when you're in the entertainment industry, that should be the focus. Yeah. It's, it's so totally true. But it, but it was like that with everything. I mean, all offices work that way, you know? Yeah. And, 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 um, you know, my daughters still tell me that tell me stuff about, you know, what's happening to them. And, and it's so, it, you know, it's still going on. It's going to take a really long time and, and sex is sex and we get attracted to each other, each other, we have to deal with it. And, right. You know, and it's just, I, my, I, I'm a, a member of NABO, National Association of Women Business Owners, and our last luncheon, we brought in a woman to talk about sexual harassment in the workplace. How do you deal with it in a way that isn't destructive to somebody's career, but is, is informative, stands your ground, and is progressive? And I think the more, and it was a, you know, there was a lot of women going, well, you know, we don't want to do this. And I went, uh, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. we're going to do this. We're going to talk about this. Yeah. Well, especially in this day and age where people just feel like you shouldn't say anything that makes anybody uncomfortable. We all have to live on this little puffy uh, seat right. of cotton balls where, you know, nothing could possibly hurt us. And it, we don't get anywhere by doing that. You have to open right. up the topics to, to solve the problems. Right. Right, exactly. One of the things that I I tend to think of as soon as I saw this, I thought of you right away. Thinking about those kind of situations was uh, the the show Good Girls Revolt. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it, and it was based on oh the book God. by the same name about yeah. the girls that worked for the newspaper. And I can't believe they didn't get picked up for a second season. Well, I have a feeling that there was something more behind that than uh, about because from what I heard, the ratings were phenomenal. People oh, it love was the show. such a good show. Yeah, my girls and I would sit and watch it. Oh my god, we loved it. But this was this around that same time? No, no, that was after, but it was just so reminiscent mm-hmm. of so much that I had gone through and uh it was cathartic for me and for my girls it was great for us to have our conversations and uh I just loved the show and I I just loved how proactive it was. I was really disappointed. Yeah. Yeah, I was too because I thought that that's you know uh, now that we're starting to have a little bit more focus on on women empowerment with even saying things like the Hunger Games and and some of the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like the uh, uh, Marvel characters and stuff like Wonder Woman. Um, I love that. I love that we're showing an equal side to things now because I think mm-hmm. it's really important. It's sad that we have to. It's sad that it should be we need to focus on this instead of, hey, mm-hmm. let's go in this direction right now for a while. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's important. And I I appreciate the work that everybody put in to get us to where we are now, because things have improved from those mm-hmm. days, at least mm-hmm. not everywhere, but it's, it's much better than, Hey woman, go get my coffee. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, so you worked for Disney for a while and then you wrote the land before time series. How did that come about? Well, um, I, I had, taken a break from Disney um, to do, to work on a film that my husband was working on. And so I took a hiatus from Disney to go work on this film. And um, 
was really contemplating trying to keep that hiatus because I really wanted to do as much as I loved working at Disney. I really wanted to do different things and stretch out. And, um, Oh gosh, I just got lost in my head. You asked me how that came about that I yeah. got to do that. Right. So, so what happened is that, um, I had moved out of Hollywood cause I had, um, my third daughter and I just went, I can't do another, I mean, my third kid and I can't do another kid and never see them because they're always in daycare. Oh yeah. I mean, my son, my son spent half his life jump, jumping up and down in a Johnny jump up from my Disney doorway. Cause I was constantly working and I would bring him to the office and he would jump up and down and up and down at his Disney, you know, his little Johnny jump up for ad infinitum, you know? Um, and I went, I, I, I gotta, I gotta go freelance. So it was during that period that I got called in to do the secret garden for ABC and long story short, I didn't get it. It's, it's, it's a really, um, I don't really want to go into what happened, but my agent was furious at me and for not booking the job. And, um, but I thought I had done a killer in- interview and I had given them all these different ways that the movie could go. And they ended up picking another writer. And again, it was because of something that I had done and, and um, I didn't think it was a bad thing, but my agent did and, long story short i still know the other writer and i love her and i don't gonna i'm not gonna go into that but um did did you learn something from it though that that was yes i learned something yeah i learned something very valuable okay good because i don't think that when we go through situations that maybe didn't work out as well as they could have as long as we've learned something from it that we can take moving forward it's not all bad you know and that's right there is that sometimes that you something that you think is really bad and it is actually the best thing that could have happened to you and this is really important. And I tell this to my, you know, young proteges all the time is what looks really bad. I just said this to my daughter is actually a blessing in disguise. You just, you know, got to be willing to wait it out. So I didn't get the secret garden job and I literally, my agent reamed me so bad about it, about it, what I did that I laid in bed for three days in the fetal position. I literally was like, oh no, I'm going to have to go back to Disney. I don't want to. This was a, a breakout job for me. I didn't get it. My husband walked in and he said, well, going to get out of bed now. <laughs> you know, what? going to stay in bed anymore because seriously, I got kids. So I, um, what happened is I went back to work for Disney for six months. I was really struggling with my attitude. And then during that time, um, the same producers, well, so there were two producers that I ended up working with quite a bit later, but this is, so what happened is that Susie Peterson and land before time two was in trouble. They had a script that they didn't like, and they had to be in production in two weeks. Mm. And the producers that I had interviewed with the secret garden and saw that I was very facile, even though I didn't get the job. They remembered my interview and they said, you want to, you probably want to talk to Dev Ross. So they did. I went and I pitched to a room full of people because I went, okay, yeah, you're right. The script's not working. Here's what I do. Or you could do this or this or this or this and this, but I, here's what I would do. Blah, 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 blah. And they went, great. Have this done in two weeks and we'll pay $25,000. Wow. About then, that was a lot, you know. 
And I went, done. (laughs) (laughs) I I would hope so. And I literally, I literally rewrote the script in two weeks and then they hired me for four more. Nice. And, um, and it happened six months after the Secret Garden ABC debacle had happened. And it was because they remembered remembered me, remembered my attitude, and recommended me for the job. So Secret Garden would have been one job. Right. And, you know, who knows what else. It would. But this ended up to go from ABC to Universal to... Uh, not only did I do a bunch of Land Before Times, but I ended up doing Balto, the sequel to Balto, the Wolf Dog. And um, it just turned into a wonderful thing from something that I didn't get out of bed for for three days. Yeah. Well, you know, but but I think the real key here is that you kept a good attitude with the people that saw you. You know, even though you didn't get the job, you didn't, you know, you didn't go back at them and go, hey, why didn't I get this? You know, you didn't attack them or anything. You kept everything good. They liked you. They might not have thought that you were right for that particular thing, but they obviously got a good enough impression on you to pass along to somebody else for a very stressful situation. Yeah, I mean, and ultimately it was for the secret garden job. It was down between me and another writer. And what happened is it, I said, oh, it's so-and-so and so-and-so. Oh, I'm in good company. She's a great writer. And when they couldn't decide between the two of us, they said, well, even Deb said she's a great writer. So they picked her. Mm-hmm. And she's a great writer. Yeah. She is. She is. And I think she's, you know, she did a great job. And um, but the 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 production itself became very mired in problems. And I went on and it just worked out better for me. Yeah. And I, and my agent said, well, how could you, you know, why would you ever compliment another writer? And I said, because, well, you're up against so-and-so. Oh, hey, I'm in good company. She's a great writer. Good. You know, I, 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 I just refuse. I just refuse to, to, to go there, to bad mouth. To, so my agent was furious at me. And I just said, well, then I, I can't. And then, but yet. He was not so furious at me when it. I ended up booking, you know, um, six other jobs. Oh, sure. Yeah, right. Because because obviously they care about you, but they care about how much money you can make oh, them because that's sure. their business, yeah. you know. And I get yeah, that. Yeah, I made him a shitload. Of, I made him a shitload of money. Yeah. So, um, you know, so and 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 stuff like that is continually happening to me. I, why 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 did that happen? I have to constantly remember. No, it happened. Yeah. And I can tell myself a very bad story about it, or I can say the story's not done, sure. and uh, we don't know. You throw the seeds out there; some of them grow, some of them don't. You can't look back, and you just keep moving forward. That's right. And and that's what I learned from that, and I've struggled ever since because I I still go, oh, you <laughs> uh, are me. Uh, I own it. Check yourself, Dev. Check yourself, let it go, move on. I can understand it being devastated. A lot of us, you know, when we see a a potential project that could be a a career changer for us, uh, especially if we're in kind of a desperate situation, either financially or because we want to get out of or not Mm -hmm. go back to a job that that we could have. um, It's like, okay, finally, thank you, Jesus. This is the thing I've been waiting for. And then it doesn't work out and it's devastating. Mm -hmm. Because you don't know where the next thing is going to come from. So I can understand 
having that reaction, but I'm glad that you picked yourself up. You know. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's human. It's human. And I think you have to experience what you experience. Um, the, the thing is, is that, you know, you, you've got to have the soul of a fairy and the hide of a rhinoceros to be in this business. And my skin has toughened. I still have the soul of a fairy. Oh, come on, let's do a show. Let's work together. It'll be beautiful. Um, but my, my, my hide has toughened, toughened, toughened. And now when I don't get something, um, and I, you know, I've just been passed over for like four jobs in the last four months. I just go, okay. It, I, I literally have like 30 seconds of, Oh, bummer. I can really use the money. And then next. Right. Yeah. And it's just because of muscle memory of practicing, 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 knowing, you know, you don't know why you didn't get the job. Right. You don't know why you don't know what's going on. You can make up all kinds of stories about, Oh, the person hiring or they're stupid or they're this or they're that, but you don't know what is going on and you just have to turn it off and look forward and say, what's next. Because if yeah. you keep looking back, why didn't I get that job? Why didn't I get that job? It, I mean, sometimes you didn't get the job because you, you know, you really screwed up or you, there's something you need to learn. Like you, you excuse me, you gave them the wrong submission, you right. know, yeah. or you, you pitched, you, you, you could have improved your pitch and those are all good things to look at. Mm -hmm. But sometimes most of the time it has nothing to do with you Yeah, and everything to do with, you know, they, they already had people in mind they wanted to hire, but they had to look at other people just cause, or, you sure. know, you, there's just so many political things or you just, you, you just don't know. And the show that I'm working with now, I'm really glad that I it's, I'm working with one of my old bosses, dear, dear bosses from Disney. In fact, he's responsible for me being hired at Disney, gave me a chance. Mm -hmm. He liked my imagination, knew that I was green, but liked my imagination and he just hands down said, you know, Dev, she's on the show. Dev, 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 mm. yeah. you know, there's, there's, I don't have to, I don't have to submit. I don't have to do anything. Um, we have a relationship. He knows what I can do. And, you know, there's those times too. And other people will go, but I didn't get a chance. Maybe I could do better. Well, I'm sorry. He picked me cause he really likes me and <laughs> right. yeah. we have a great relationship and maybe there is somebody better out there and it's not fair, but that's the way it goes. Yeah. I tend to look at it as sometimes if, if I get passed over for a job, then uh, it usually turns out that if I had taken that, I would have missed out on something that would have been better or more suited. To yeah. Me. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it because, you know, people think you might be woo woo foo foo, but the fact is the universe works in very mysterious ways mm -hmm. and um, honest to God, the worst jobs I've ever had is because I took it for money. Yeah. I knew this is going to be a terrible job, but I need the money. And then I was like, you know, well, the, all that money I made went into paying for my therapy bills, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my hospital bills from the, you know, the ulcer I got. Right. So yeah. I just, I just think that like, uh, I missed out on a very big job at Mattel. And it had been going on for six months, back and forth, back and forth. And I was just, and I ultimately didn't get it. And I was really disappointed. And because they were like going to fly me out to meet the last 
people and blah, blah, blah. And then the next thing I know, I don't hear, I'm going to be flying out, flown out just like sort of your experience you were telling me earlier. And I don't hear anything for weeks. Yeah. And then finally I go, what, 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 what's going on? And they went, Oh, we hired somebody else. Right. And then I found out that the person they hired quit after six months and practically had a mental collapse working there. And my agent had said to me, she said to me, let me tell you, you dodged a bullet. And I went, no, I wanted that job. No, she's, you dodged a bullet. And six months later, I mean, I'm now in uh, Wisconsin on another show with the woman who picked up the job after the other woman, after the other, I don't know if it was a woman or not, had a breakdown. And she went, oh yeah, job from hell. Job from hell. And in the meantime, you know, I did, um, I ended up writing a script and selling it. So I didn't get the job at Mattel that I wanted so badly, but I ended up writing a script and selling it. And it's the best thing I've ever written. So, you know. Right, exactly. But I didn't know that Mattel was producing, was it a television show or? Yeah, they do a lot of kids shows. Uh, oh, okay. They knew me from, I had worked on, um, what's it, Monster High. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. A really fun show. And they knew me for that, so. I got it. Oh, I see. Yeah. I didn't realize that they were doing that. I always just think Mattel and electronics. uh, Yeah, no, they, they produce a lot of television. Okay. Uh, So I, you know, I could keep you all day, but uh, I do want to have, I do have a couple other questions before we wrap up, if you don't mind. Uh, So you worked on the uh, series of Aladdin for Disney. Mm -hmm. What, what is the reality of working on a show like that with you? You write your script. How much, how much of of what you put in is edited by someone else and how much of it is, okay, this is the story we're going with. We just want you to change a couple things. Like what's the, the reality of a writer on a show like that? The reality is, is that by the end you might recognize one word. <laughs> wow. And the reality is sometimes you recognize the whole script. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. You don't know your job. Bruce Talkington, who God bless him has since passed away was a writer at Disney that mentored me. And he used to say to me, Deb, our job is to give them something to rewrite. Mm. He said, please take that to heart. At Disney, oftentimes by the time your story editor and producer got done with it, you were often heavily rewritten, very much team sport there. At Universal, uh, I was not written, rewritten at all. Oh, I mean, okay. maybe a change here or there, but I, I, nothing was rewritten. It really depends. Um, when I work with the, uh, uh, my Carl, I will say it, Carl Gears, he's just brilliant. Um, you know, he, he will, he will do some rewriting on me. Um, but we really discuss it. Um, because I'm not privy to all the information he's privy to because he's working with the producers and the production company, but he really goes out of his way to educate me. And he's so smart because the more he educates me and says, this is what they're thinking that I can deliver a first draft closer to what the more he informs me, I can work, deliver a first draft that's closer to what they want, you know, cause you're, but generally, um, heavily rewritten at disney um and 
And that's not a question of your talent. That just means that things are constantly changing and evolving and having to be done so fast that you as a writer were there to give them a template. Right. Yeah. And to come up with the stories. And to come up with the stories. I mean, my job was to to come up with storylines. But if you go into it with the attitude of knowing that you're just giving them, here's here's your basic Legos. And mm-hmm. here's the colors I think you should use. You go ahead and put it together the way you want. Then it's a lot easier to take as an artist than, oh my God, look at what they did to my story. Yeah, yeah. And there was there were there were writers that really had a hard time with that. And yeah. really struggled with that. And then um I, at first I was like, huh, weird. I liked it better the way I did it. And, I, and Bruce would always say, Dev, what's your job? My job is to give them something to rewrite. And <laughs> and I'm it was a blessing. It was a blessing because um you let go and you go on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. I I had a script of mine reprinted in the LA Times for Clifford the Big Red Dog by Dev Ross. And it was in the entertainment section and they put like well, a big section of my script and I didn't recognize any of it. Ooh. My name was on it, but I didn't recognize any of it. So so how do you go out and market yourself as a writer and say, I wrote this, I wrote that when someone else changed so much of it? Is there is there a line between taking credit and saying I was a part yeah. of the team? Like how do you balance well, that? Well, it 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 depends. Like when because I'm freelancing, I so I'm always sending out scripts that are you know, they'll say, I, I want to see your boy's action adventure. Well, I have plenty of that stuff that I send that has not been doctored or edited by a script, you know, by a um, your story editor. I have lots of stuff. So I make sure that when I send something out, it is indicative of me. I don't send out my stuff that's been highly changed, um, you know, because I want them to see what I could do. And plus, I would imagine the people in the business that you're sending them to also know how it works. They know when you say, I wrote yeah. this for Disney, that that probably got edited to a... Or I'll send them the first draft. Yeah. You know, oh, here's okay. A, here's the first draft. Here's the me not, version of not it. Not the final draft. This is the first draft. So then, now you know that this is what I wrote. Right. Yeah. So it's it seems like in the business, though, there's really no such thing as I've made it. Because you always, no matter <laughs> what you've done, you you always have to hustle. That's right. I, I think that there's a big misconception about that, that once you land a television role or you're in a movie where you're, you know, a co-star of a, of a movie that is a blockbuster or whatever, that your your life is just going to take off and you'll just get calls. And But it doesn't really work that way. No, after I won the Humanitas Prize back in 2002, I, as a writer, I thought, that's it. I'm just going to be working nonstop. Mm. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And I have a I have a good friend who was nominated for a Academy Award. She didn't get it, but she was nominated. She said the same thing. Well, I was nominated. I'm just gonna get all these roles. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. I nah, mean there's probably nah. what one percent of the people that that really can say that they don't have to work for work anymore. I would imagine mm-hmm. uh I, I I don't know anything factually about this, but just imagining I would I would think somebody like Tom Hanks would not have a hard time getting a role because he's shown a great amount of versatility. He's shown that he can complete projects. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got cute. People are going to come because it's Tom Hanks. Exactly. So, but he's probably in the extreme minority of people that I wouldn't imagine would really have to work that hard to get work other than just say, Hey, if you got anything, let me know. 
Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but he's you know he's he's doing his own producing now. He's producing yeah. television. Exactly. You know because he knows that there's a generation of people that are coming up now that don't know who Tom Hanks is. Yeah, that's so weird for me. <laughs> it really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so my last question for you, and this veers completely away from entertainment. Um, because you you talk about this a lot, and you talk about the state of the the earth when it comes to conservation and our use of plastics and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of that myself. Mm-hmm. But my question for you is: I I get that we want to uh, get away from manufacturing plastics, but it seems like we really have a lot of work to do to repurpose things before we can stop manufacturing plastics. Even down to say going to a restaurant and getting a ketchup packet. Or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. maybe the, the wax papers that we use for the burger mm-hmm. that you might get at McDonald's. Um, do you think that that might really be the starting place to, to circumvent the need for plastic and then stop manufacturing it? Or should we do it the other I think, way? I really, I really think it starts with the individual. Mm-hmm. And when I go to a restaurant, I bring my own carryout containers. Mm-hmm. They always look at me like I'm nuts. Some of them have started to thank me. Good. Because I, and people look at me and I'm thinking all I do, and I've actually got other people slowly, but surely to carry their own metal straws, to carry their own takeouts, to use cloth bags. It it starts with a consumer, right? you know, and if, if less, pla- if all of a sudden grocery bags are building up at the, you know, plastic grocery bags are growing, are building up at the store because no one's taking them, mm-hmm. then the industry takes notice and goes, oh. Well, we need to change, but until then, it's supply and demand. Right. So if we're not demanding it, they're not going to be able to supply it. And that's just I and I start with myself and I hope I'm asking your question, but that's yeah. I, I used to just go rant and rave and write companies and how dare you and you know, and why are you doing this and you're so much packaging and I get back, yeah, fuck you. Right. You know, yeah. This is what our customers this is what our customers want. Mm-hmm. And um I went, okay, so if that's what your customers want, what if they don't want it anymore? And there's more and more people, thank God, who are are eschewing using straws and, and bringing their own containers and bringing their cloth bags and um, ride sharing and uh, doing what they need to do to change demand. And I know that plenty of other people are saying, you know, ew. Cloth bags. I have to wash them. So you throw them in with your towels. I mean, what's, you know, what's the problem? But I I just, I just hope that slowly, you know, even I have actually uh, written when we were shooting a show of mine, um, there was a scene, a grocery scene and they had the prop people had plastic bags and I went cut. No, 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 no. Cloth bags. I went to my car. I got out my cloth bags and I said, she will bring in her groceries in these cloth bags. But no, that's, and I, and that's one thing I do write advertisers. I say, you, you have such impact on the population. Can't you show your people carrying bags that are, that are cloth? And sometimes I do get some nice response. Mostly I get, fuck you. But yeah, uh, that's a shame. But I just think about, you know, if, you know, if, if we're not using them, when I was living in Korea, if you wanted to plastic bag you had to pay 50 the equivalent of about 50 cents for it really let me tell you yeah so and this was quite some time ago so you can imagine that people used brought their own bags oh sure yeah 
You know, I, I love my one day a year where I go to Newport Beach in January. But every year I'm just blown away by how much trash I find half buried in the sand or even just, you know, thrown out on like, don't you people want the beach to be nice? Why mm-hmm. can't you just, bring, yeah, it, you know, it, it's just, I could go on and on and on. I used to write a recycling column for the local newspaper. I could go on and on and on at the experiences that I've had. And I'm, I'm just, you know, you don't shit where you eat right. and we do, mm-hmm. we do for some crazy reason. And you know, so all I can say is, is you have to mirror that behavior for those around you. And, and it's really worked for me. I've had so many people say, say I recycle because of you, though recycling is changing so des- drastically that we have to just now rethink it. And right. rather than thinking, well, we'll just recycle. Well, no, now you just have to not use it. Yes. I, I make my own yogurt now my own Greek yogurt so that I don't have to keep buying those plastic containers that they don't want to recycle anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I switched to a, uh, a water dispenser instead of buying, mm-hmm. you know, 21 gallon water bottles every month. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it saved so much plastic, just not buying those bottles anymore. And, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's every little bit we do makes a difference. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And you just gotta, you just gotta live it. Yeah, I agree. Well, Dev, it has just been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And thank you Thanks, for being Scott. the guest on my 50th episode of the podcast. Who knew oh I'd make goodness. it this far? <laughs> oh my goodness. But you, I, I just, you know, you're you're one of the most fearless people that I, I've known. And oh, I, I really admire that about you. And I love that you're you're doing different things. You're reinventing yourself all the time. Um, you mm-hmm. see opportunities and you go for them because I think one of the biggest reasons that people aren't successful is because they're just afraid to go for things. And it's hard. Sure. It's hard. You know, no, it's hard and no one should misconstrue that it's it's hard and it just takes everything and if it's too hard for you then it's probably not for you exactly and go 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 find your bliss yes but if you don't if you don't ask for things nothing ever happens exactly you know for me i would rather at least end up in a nursing home with an iv of lasagna going i did everything i could absolutely versus staring out the window going what if i would have tried harder Right. Exactly. You know. Well, exactly. Deb, you keep in touch. Let us know when these projects release so that all these things that you can't talk about, we can talk about. Okay. You got it. <laughs> Thanks, Deb. You take care. Bye, Scott. Bye-bye. I honestly don't know what else to say, but just, wow. But just, Wow. You know, what a ball of energy and just so creative and very thoughtful and uh, just an amazing person to speak to. So thank you, Deb, for coming by the show. Look forward to hearing about the things you can't tell us about just yet. And that, as you guys know, is very common in this business. Thank you guys for joining me for episode 50. Nice little milestone there on our way to 300. We're one sixth of the way there. Please continue to share, to like, to go to the Facebook page and like that to be entered into the mental sauna flash drive drawing. And we'll see you guys for Stranger Things. 